Aguilar, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. It was only six days ago. And we're recording on a Friday, which is unusual. Only six days ago, the Ireland-Italy game has already feels like it's been consigned to history. Maybe it's just because it's been a really long week. But before we get on to the very interesting topic of Ireland playing Scotland uh, in what could be a championship decider, um, let's talk about how Ireland went against Italy. I thought it was a really enjoyable game. Um, and I feel less inclined to make the caveats about how great it is that Italy were are, are not shit anymore. I just thought it was a great game of rugby. Really interesting. I was far more nervous, very unusually. So normally I would be the more sanguine approach in a match of the certainly the two people who are at the other end of the I would be a here. bundle of nerves before most games. I was very confident before the Italy game. Whereas I was nervous. I particularly when I saw that Gary Ringrose was out, I thought that the lack of experience of, uh, or an unsettled combination, to put it that way. Uh, their lack of familiarity with playing at each other rather than the lack of experience. The fact that Bundy was playing out of position uh, were all jitterbug-inducing uh, selection calls for me. And I think, particularly because reviewing Farrell's most recent selections, he's been very good at getting out a balanced team. Like, he plays Keelan Doris at six rather than eight sometimes. But ever since going with Hugo Keenan at fullback, he's been very consistent in picking guys in their best positions. Uh, and particularly because the way the nature of the way the, the, the Italians shape, the way they, they play out the back an awful lot and they, they overload the wide channels. Um, I knew they'd run up Bundy, Bundy's lack of familiarity playing 13. And the fact that we were playing away, I thought Ireland would win, but I thought it would be by less than seven points, I have to admit. And I thought that what would happen was that the Italian crowd would get buoyed by being close to Ireland and galvanise their team a bit more. Now, at halftime, or just before halftime, I thought, actually, we're in a good, pretty good position. Then we threw the intercept pass. The nerves came back to me. The lonely birds came. Lonely birds came, eh? The nerves came back. Yeah, what you said is like very reasonable. Um, all the points about the unfamiliarity. So you have Casey from Munster, Byrne from Leinster, McCluskey from Ulster, and Aki from Connacht playing together for the first time. Aki proud provinces in the midfield. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, and and Aki has. I know Aki has played thirteen before. Certainly for Connacht, never played thirteen for Ireland before, and he doesn't really play thirteen. You know, he's a twelve who occasionally fills in a thirteen. So my point on Bundy did have some defensive uh Bundy had a lot of defensive issues uh but I feel that you have to take that as um I, I actually didn't feel strange to say I didn't feel that it detracted from his personal performance they were 
it was a problem with with the system and the system was that if you're going to play at 12 at number 13 like if they'd played Stuart McCloskey at 13 and Bundyaki at 12 you know you would have had the same problems they didn't have like Ireland's first choice number 13 is Ring Rose and Ireland's second choice 13 is Henshaw you know and James Hewn's form this season has been really poor and you know so then you're going quite deep into you're looking at would you pick Jimmy O'Brien over Bundyaki if you're playing that exact same match again if you're playing Italy again you might think about it but for the game that was in hand no I would I would have gone with the selection he went with and I we've, ha- talk, we've talked about this quite recently about the way that Faz selects his bench and like it essentially comes down to you do you trust the systems or do you trust the man? And Faz trusts the man. Yeah, agreed. Like, Bundy's a test match animal. Faz wants him on the pitch. And, you know, he's all the qualifications you'd have around him playing second centre or the reservations that you'd have him around, he's he's quite prepared to go with it. Yeah, he set up two tries and scored another one. Uh, like, his line burst for Hugo Keenan's try was, was excellent. His... his the way he got his, his elbows narrow and tied into his body, reaching through the tackle and then offloaded for uh, the James Lowe try. Not James Lowe, the other one. James Ryan try was um, was brilliant as well. It was classic Bundy. So I feel, yeah, he had defensive problems and yeah, like they were exploited. And it was an excellent coaching performance from uh, Kieran Crowley, who has done a spectacularly good and quick job with Italy um, and they they contributed uh, to what was a really enjoyable game. I thought that game was really high standard the best Ireland-Italy game that's ever been played and, and Ireland are a fucking good side at the moment like the Italians are have made enormous strides. Like I know you were saying you're not, you didn't really want to discuss that caveat but they're playing great rugby. Like I was looking forward to the next weekend's match, and I think they must be favourites against Wales. I made a prediction in, well, I think we had the blog, so 2011 maybe would have been as far ago as it could have been, that the Italians would win the Six Nations before 2020. On An the African base, team is going to win the World Cup, Pele. Absolutely. On the basis that they had... Uh, pro teams always have good forwards and all they needed was a pair of halfbacks. Um, so it didn't happen. But <laughs> I'd be curious if uh, Lil Garbizi, as I think of him, comes through and if he's anything as good as his brother, gives them the pair of halfbacks. Well, the first, the first thing, the first big milestone that they have to reach will be finishing in the top half of the Six Nations. Yeah, you know, finishing finishing third would be would be an enormous result. So that's not going to happen this season. But you know, I think uh, the strides that they've made in one season now he's probably eaten up a lot of the the easy gains that were there, and the the next set of gains will be harder and smaller. But it's such an impressive coaching. So what do you mean by that? Because they played England. France and Ireland in the first three. That's a good point. No, but I think if you were taking over as a coach and you're taking over the team that isn't doing well, I think you can get quite a lot better. You can improve by like 
and go and stick a percentage number on it. You can improve by 15% like quite handily by just being a good coach first. And then when you're getting up to it, now you're performing at, say, closer to 85% than you were at, say, 70%. The next percentage point gains will be smaller. It might yeah, be 2% yeah, there, 2.5%. Yeah, yeah. The only way I can describe that is in numbers. But you know, like a lot of the things that were wrong have been righted. And now it's like getting better at the things that you've just got good at. And those those are harder. Those incremental games are harder to, to last, like, you know, 10%. But cracking game of rugby. Um, really good tries from Ireland. Ireland's tries. Like, Mac Hansen's first one, which was relatively close after some punishing carries by Ireland, had a really nice uh, pass from Casey, subterfuge from Byrne, a lovely or lovely quick hands from McCloskey. And that was the simplest of them. It was just a very nice finish. But the others were, you know, were, were really sort of quite spectacular tries. Um, I'm not sure what was the pick of them. The last one was, I think, every Irish player handled the ball without an Italian handling. Maybe Bartan Sheehan. But it was it was an outstandingly uh, well-organized. And then a moment of brilliance from Conor Murray and a Great trail line from Mac Hansen and a lovely step at, at the end to finish it. But like all the tries were good. Josh van der Fleer's uh, efforts in them, Bondiakis, which I've spoken about before, uh, and then James Ryan's supporting line for his try. And and Lowe's, you know, Lowe's had a cracking game. Um, one thing I thought about the Bondiaki selection. Uh, and given that he had maybe Osborne as the other player in his squad or oh, Jimmy, o- yeah, Jimmy yeah. O'Brien, it's kind of a World Cup-ish kind of selection where you have a much more limited panel to choose from and at short notice you could be dropped in it. You can't fly over someone. So you're going to, well, even though France is, you know, you can only, you wouldn't take Gary Ringrose out of a World Cup if you know he's going to be back next week. Absolutely. So you're going, oh, I'm not going to, you know, call out a replacement to France. I'm just going to go with what I have. And, and, and shuffle things a bit and we have to get on with things. That's that's just what it struck me as. Good point. I, I never considered it like that, but yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, I really love the Italian first try. That's that like that kind of rugby where like you just overwhelm someone and then like Varney is not a great player or struggles at international level, I should say, rather than not a great player. Uh like he scored he he's just able to pick the ball up and run in and like touch the ball because you because they've overwhelmed us so much in attack. Mm. I love that I love that try. That's, it was super then, try. I love you even more. Are now like signature fourth quarter uh, grueling phase monster, followed by once you know beautiful bit of play to slice open a team. Those tries really like put put a game to bed. They're really satisfying. Oh, they're they? So <laughs> satisfying because you're going. This is this is great. Yeah. Like it was like Rear's try against the French going, you're you're at it or you're looking at it and going, This is really good, this is really good. Just need a breakthrough. And then somebody does something really brilliant. You're like, yes. Because you're already you're sort of boiling up it's like an eruption. It's like uh you're you're climbing, you're the lava coming up out of the volcano. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think Ireland's Ireland's fitness stood them again. Um I think the, the last quarter was better for Ireland than it was for for the Italians. And even though the Italians like to play a nice, quick game, you sort of you have to be 
concerned if you're Italy that you're playing against a team that's really fit. So you're sort of playing into their hands um, in in a way by doing that. And then I felt that Ireland in the third quarter, Italy are, are far better. They play a far better style than they did, far more effective, far more attractive. But you'd have to argue that it's at the expense of everything else. Whereas Ireland in the third quarter played a very territorial game against the Italians and made the decision that, you know something, like if Italy are in our 22 or just outside our 22, um, they're a real threat. If they're just outside their own 22, even though they can go through a number of phases, they're not that much of a threat. And just went and played territory. And that was very encouraging from an Irish point of view because I think to be a really good team, you need to be able to play well in more than one way. And I think that's the... That's the hallmark of it. And then in the fourth quarter, kind of reverted back a bit more. So really just stole the oxygen from the Italians and and didn't panic about it. Yeah, absolutely. Just another th- interesting thing. Um, the Italians obviously saw where there was a weak, a weakness in the Irish defensive system by attacking, you know, between the centres especially. But we saw where there was a weakness in the Italian system by, like, attacking Padovani's his wing, you know, Coming down, uh, Padapani was their right winger, their left winger, whose name I can't recall, Bertie, had a s- superb game. But uh, Padovani, we targeted an Bru- awful lot. Bruno, I think. Bruno. Yeah. Bruno, yeah. He was a live wire, but Padovani wasn't in the game as an attacking threat and as a defensive threat. We just we just went, uh, really sought him out. Because Brex is a good defender, uh, and then Padovani uh, was just victimised. The Italians sought us out by playing the most funereal version of Ireland's call there's ever been. Yeah. It was like comically slow. It was hilarious. But I, I do think it is worth pointing out, and maybe somebody else has done this, but that uh, with Aaron Levine, we have the soldier song, and with Ireland's call, we have the shoulder song. You love and the shoulder song. I just think the soldier song being followed by the shoulder song is, is, is worth highlighting. How did you think Ross Byrne played? Thought he played really well. Thought he played really well. He was uh, his some of his goal kicking, which is has always been a huge strength. Um, not to get a, share, a terrible day from from the place ball, but you're sort of used to Ross being like you know 100 kicker. So I was a little bit surprised that he missed a few. But his line kicking was amazing. Uh, there's a couple of occasions when he put the ball. He could have walked over to the five meter line and put it down there and. It, you know, he's doing it f- from 40 metres away and he couldn't have done any better. So that's those two things have always been a strength of Ross. His ability to give the late pass, choose the right options and give the late pass was really evident in how... Now, obviously, he's not the only, the only person doing it. Our backline passed very well for the most part. Uh, but seeing the... Like, all our tries were scored by backs... I think they were all scored by the outside backs. James Ryan. Sorry, that's a good point, yeah. Um, but his his ability to, to get the back line motoring onto the ball and nice subterfuge, both his own and using the players around him, I thought it was really impressive. I thought he had a really accomplished game, a most accomplished game. I guess that the main thing for me was that he was the man in the arena. And what I mean by that is that when... When Crowley came on right near the end and uh, had 
Ireland had a bit of a flurry. And like I said, Ireland were a fitter team and Ireland were still playing. Ireland's backs looked really good with, with Crowley at 10. Like he, he's a running threat himself. Uh, Ireland had won the game at that stage, so he was prepared to take a bit of a risk and move it out. And I it, it highlighted for me the difference between Ross as an attack in 10 and Crowley as an attack in 10. And I, I'll always remember because, you know, we all, we knew Hoagie, like Hoagie being a Terenure guy and very um, big supporters of us that he, he played for Ireland against England. He was substituted for uh, Brian O'Mara. And Brian O'Mara came on and Lansdowne and Ireland were being hammered. And this beautiful pass came from the base and the crowd almost took an audible gasp of, oh my goodness, like there's, there's a beautiful pass from an Irish scrum half. But the fact was, like, Hoagie was captain of Ireland. He was a better rugby player. And it's just, like, he wasn't as good a passer as Brian O'Mara. And, it, like, the reason I'm saying it is that Ross was there for the first 75 minutes. And I always felt, and I still feel with Joey, that he gets a free pass on things because of the way that people sort of imagine him to be. And what I mean, again, to quali- sort of qualify it is that Ross isn't going to be, he's not going to get any more athletic than he is. Like, there's going to be times when he runs, he's, he's just done for pace by people. There's going to be times when he's, he's not an attacking threat. There's going to be times when, you know, one or two of his passes kind of bomb down a bit. But he showed that he was capable of playing international rugby for 75 minutes. And sometimes guys get better by not being picked because... They, they just get arrayed in the media and it, it goes unchallenged. And I often felt that was the case with Joey. And while I'm a, I'm a big Crowley fan, he's still not nailed down the number 10 slot at Munster, which which sort of tells me that like there must be something missing there. And as much and all of a fan as he is, there's bits and pieces of his game that I've seen that I'd be concerned about. Um, in particular, his defence, even though he's quite, he's abrasive, uh, like he's, he's, he's not as good a defender as Ross one-on-one um, at the moment. Maybe he'll get better. So I I also think it's worth highlighting it's really challenging to play 10 at international level. So I don't think we've got Johnny Sexton Mark two, but I think Ross Byrne is a very confident guy. I don't think he needed that match for his confidence. He's always proved that he's got bounce-back ability. And it's come from at the right time because, sure, he didn't need to make the plane for New Zealand. Really noticeable that he was bellowing out orders in yeah. the huddle at the start of the game. Like, and he wouldn't feel in any way uncomfortable doing that because, like, he's like, I'm a 10, it's my job. Uh, I watched way more NFL this year than I have in, in many years. <coughs> and it, obviously, like, the most exciting players are these guys who can run and pass. There's plenty of lads who, particularly towards the end of their career, you know, you realize the quarterback's job is to like run everything and not dig you out of a hole because like your pockets collapsed. Yeah. Just because they're like genuinely a genetic freak. It's most of the time, like 90% of their job is to organize everything, pl- call the plays and make the right decisions. And like whether that's handoff for a run or throw a lovely pass on a route that, you know, you're a good receiver, you pick out whatever. Everyone knows how NFL works. But like Ross is. You know, it's his job to run the back line and, and occasionally to kick the points and mostly kick conversions because he doesn't get to kick any penalties anymore. Yeah. Ireland don't really kick any penalties, nor do Leinster. So 
I don't know. I thought he, I, and then I went back to look at the tries because I just read some commentary about him and like comparing him to, to Carberry. And I just saw him take the ball to the line and on one of them particularly get absolutely minced, but obviously like created the, you know, the space. Yeah, for the bus. Gave, gave the late pass. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, you just don't see Carberry do that. I, I think that organization point because there's a certain personality type. You need to be vocal, you need to be confident, you need to be like extrovert really to, to do it. And that's the biggest criticism of Joey is that he just doesn't put any shape on the back line at all. Doesn't put any shape on the attack. He doesn't organise guys. He doesn't get guys into different positions. Like He doesn't organise his decoys. And when he did in the last few minutes against New Zealand, he looks absolutely world-beating because his elusiveness and his, his ball skills are superb. And sure, we said it after that third test that were he able to replicate that form for 70 minutes or from the beginning of a match for 60 minutes, he would be challenging Sexton, to be quite honest. Like, he's he's got a decade on him. But he hasn't he hasn't evidence that he can do that. Yeah, his elusiveness is very good, and his ball skills are good. They're not superb. Superb is uh, Finn Russell's ball skills. We'll get to him. We'll get to him. Uh, and sure. then just uh, two other players I wanted to ask how you thought they did. Casey and Baird. Casey first. Yeah, I thought Casey... Did pretty well. Uh, Casey's he he. I saw him blame himself for uh, a pass he threw to James Lowe, which fell a bit. A long pass uh, right underneath the sticks, uh, and it was like very big of him to take the blame for that. There was two of them in it. His pass generally is lovely. We used him at, in out half off a number of lineouts, and he just he can zip the pass out to second center like it's no one's business. Um, he obviously got that bang in the in the in the throat early on when he ran into, um, I think the younger Canone, the second row Canone, uh, which looked really fucking sore. But was, you know, was in terms of foul play, a nothing incident. Like he ran into him, and it's one of those things that is. It's like it's like Ross's, uh, pace. Like Casey's not going to get any bigger, you know, and. In terms of, like, he's quick over the ground. And he's, he's quick off the mark. But uh, there are the difference in when Conor Murray came on. Because Conor Murray has fucking rediscovered his breaking threat. Uh, he showed it off the, in, his, in his sort of first game back against the Springboks in November. Now, he did his, he did his hammer when he did it. But uh, he had a great run around the end of the line out. Like, Conor... Conor Murray's breaking game had receded into memory for about three years. Like he just he used to be a huge physical threat round round the edge um, before, you know, 2019. And then he just moved away from it. He stopped, he stopped running. So he's back doing it. And uh, it's something that Casey, you know, he can get scragged by somebody can get like the fingers of a hand on him. And because he's he's so small and he's light, he's very strong for his size, but he's he's really small at international level. He's small at pro rugby level, tiny at international level. He can get stopped. Um, so I thought, like, I thought it was, I expected Murray to be picked beside Ross Byrne. And I thought it was quite a brave selection from Farrell to go with Casey. And I thought he, he did, a, like, a pretty, a pretty decent job. Baird. And Baird, what about Baird? Um, Baird had big moments. 
<laughs> like we talked about Baird a few weeks ago that you just you give him a checklist of things that you want him to do and ideally how often that you want him to do it and you just hope that he does them and his like the things that really stood out were the big moments it was the steal the line it was steal. the line out so the the jackal and the line out and they were big plays and he got a carry towards the end of the last try where you sort of realize like he gives you that bit of ballast and exciting to have a guy who's in form i guess the thing about baird is that i'd compare him to jack conan that jack you could say this about a number of irish players now you could you could sort of counter it by conor murray conor murray went in a number of lions tours and i don't think they did him that well Gary Ringrose didn't go on a Lions tour. Johnny Se- the most recent one. Johnny Sexton didn't go. And Gary Ringrose in the form of his life. Johnny Sexton has managed to extend his career. James Ryan is playing better rugby than ever. Ty Furlong's been injured you know, for a good bit. Ryan- Robbie Henshaw's been injured for a good bit. It doesn't benefit Irish guys to go on a Lions tour with Gatlin coaching. I don't know if it benefits the Welsh guys either, but it certainly doesn't benefit the Irish guys. And Jack Conan went on the tour and started the three tests, but... Comparing Baird and Conan is not that Conan played particularly badly. It's just that Conan's not in great form. Ryan Baird is in good form. So we talked at the before the first match against Wales, like who would I like to see in the bench? And I was like, I'd like to see Baird and Coombs because they're both playing really well. It wouldn't break my heart if Hendo and Conan were dropped for the bench for this first match because they haven't played in rugby. They can play for their provinces and get a game under their belt. And... That's like who played better? Baird played better than Conan at the weekend. We didn't see Coombs. He's not exactly the same position as Hendo, but it is a reminder pick the players that are in form. Like, I think if you have to point the finger at Joe Schmidt for one of the things that seemed to go wrong in um, Japan, but like it really went badly in the six, the six Nations in 2019 was far worse than the World Cup was. You know, the World Cup was, is, is just what people remember. You know, the World Cup wasn't an absolute disaster. The Six Nations was. And it was just like you get stuck with one team and you, you don't pick the guys that are in form. And I think that's the crucial thing is you've got to trust to pick the guys that are in form. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing between uh, the uh, uh, comparison that you brought up there with with Conan and you mentioned Baird and Coombs. I think you're absolutely right. Like Baird is in super form and Conan isn't in, in super form. And and then Coombs is an interesting one because, like he would, they went to a twenty-seven man training squad. They they trained in um, Lansdowne Road, Road. Uh, and then had uh, dinner afterwards in in Dillinger's in Ranla, and uh, so like a twenty-seven man squad. And again, Coombs was dropped off, and you're thinking like that that surprised me. Um, it's it's. Like I, I sort of wonder why. Like I'd, l- I'd love to know, you know, how how the guys are training together, and um, like this is something fucking everyone would love to know. <laughs> you know, if you could talk to the coaches and they just give you an answer, and you just go, "Listen, I won't tell anyone." Just like, you know, <laughs> who's who's shown well? Uh, why did you pick Keelan Doris at six, uh, when he just had you know an enormous game at eight? Why did you make that change? Uh, why is like is is Conan training really well? Uh, is Coombs not training well? Is Coombs not you know 
what's what's he not doing that that you want him to do? Because you seem to sort of drop him every chance you can get. Um, so that's like Conan had. He you know it's funny he had. If things don't get mentioned by the commentators, sometimes it, it's almost as though they didn't happen. Like Conan had two blockdowns in the first eleven minutes. Now the ball can go anywhere from a blockdown. Like the first one went up in the air and then fell to the Irish midfield, and they sort of faffed around a little bit, and the Italians end up getting back on the twenty-two. And the second one was he blocked uh, Varney's kick at the front of a lineout, and the, through fucking <laughs> absolutely knocked him into next week, and the ball went dead. You know, so like blockdowns are one of the most exciting things in the game. Uh, so like, I, and I'm a huge fan of blockdowns, and think they should sort of be rewarded more. Like if you block a kick into touch or block a dead, I think you should. Either get the throw throw back or or get the get the scrum, but uh, they sort of went more or less unremarked, and as a result, it's like, oh, what did Conan do? Well, fucking two blockdowns in, in ten minutes is good, um, but it's uh, he didn't he didn't like have have a blinder, which I think I sort of felt that he needed to because he's like the second choice eight, um, and you know they moved aside Darius to give him a run at eight, and you're going, well, like. Yeah, well, what, like, what's the thinking there? Do you think? Like, my my thinking is like, let's see if we can play Doris at six and have him be as good as he was at eight against France, and then get another eight and another big runner. I don't know if you're trying to play a guy into form or if you're looking to go back to Ian's earlier point. Like, you're looking at it in a World Cup panel, and you're going to bring thirty three players, and you need to see what your combos are like really mm. with uh like take take Omani as the first choice six but he's he's whatever age he is and you go well I'm gonna have to manage this guy's minutes so what's my next best combo look like if he comes okay out? maybe but uh, this is the thing that you'd love to ask the coaches like yeah what are you thinking like you know what what, what way do you see your yeah like not not like what are you fucking thinking but like what are you thinking yeah <laughs> on uh, the question of what are you thinking we all thought Ryan Barrett had been like, well, they've decided he's a six this year, but Farrell thinks differently, and he's playing. No, him. well, he's playing him. He's still keeping him as a four six, like he was played in 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 Leicester last year. Yeah, that's a, well, that's a good point. Uh, you know, we're we're sort of shy on on uh, second rows. You know, when one of the big three go down, like there is this. He was. It looked like it was going to be Treadwell was going to be definitely the fourth because he got the played in five games in New Zealand and then he had a couple of iffy games in November and he was, you know, pretty much axed and then Joe McCarthy was the coming man and 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 then Baird has obviously got back ahead of him and Baird gives you more versatility than the others do. Um, Leinster have been playing mostly at six this season but as a as a as an age grade player he was primarily a second row and for most of his early career he's been a second row as a pro. So, Sorry, what was... I'm just surprised that we, it sort of seemed like, we often say versatility is a blessing when you're younger and a curse when you're older. And it seemed like we were barely, you know, getting his game at four and six or five and six maybe. And then he seemed like he'd settled into, I was going to be playing blindside for Leinster because they got Jason Jenkins in. And that really fills up a lot of that uh, five role throughout the season. And instead of him sort of, preparing for his international career as a specialist six 
he is internationally still considered a second row and a blindside. It'd be interesting to see if he'd be picked to start or would Joe McCarthy be picked to start. Um, and the reason I'd say that is with him on the bench, you can pick Will Connors as your other, um, as your other, I don't know, back five sub. Mm. If if you're concerned about uh, open side being... Now, the thing is, like, Josh van der Fleer is so fit that he can play 80 minutes fine, you know, and, and Keelan Doris can play 80 minutes fine. So, really, the guy most likely to come off in that back row without injuries being a consideration is, is Peter Omani. Um Because the other guys are just really, really fit. And so much younger. And much younger. And much younger, yeah, sorry. Like, yeah, mm. implicitly, much younger. The only reason that you'd want to play uh, Will Connors, apart from the fact that he's really good, is that he gives you he changes up your defense. You're bringing on a guy who's an absolutely world class defender, and it's a different picture that you're presenting the opposition with. But at the expense of Josh Vanderfleer's yeah. ball car- or like all the stuff that Josh does. So yeah, we'll just touch briefly on Italy for thirty two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He just brushed through the defense. Thunder's in there. That'll knock the wind out of him. Before the first game of the championship, we talked up Wales an awful lot. And it turns out, well, we were not right about that. Um, Now the bogeyman on the horizon is the Scot. The Scot's a wordy oppo. You, I mean... I don't know where we stand on Finn Russell, but you've been heaping praise on him recently. Well, I think, yeah, my opinion on him has changed over the last, you know, month. Hugely changed. I've always been very critical of his flakiness. I think he's thrown that off relatively late in his career and uh, matured in a hurry. Uh, I was watching more top 14 earlier this season and his place kicking is one thing which had always been a bit... Which is always not a bit, it had been hit and miss. His place kicking percentage is, I think, the best in the entire top 14, which is a league full of good place kickers. His uh, it's held up really well to where it's gotten. It's only one part of this maturation that he's gone through. He still plays with the uh, very cliched smile on his face, but I think that there's a lot more dedication to Scotland. Uh, and to his his performing as a the general of the team, uh, and I've just been really impressed. It hasn't impacted he, when I saw him in um, in Lansdowne Road playing for Racing against Leinster. I was thinking like, Jesus, this guy is like he's playing. He's a, he's a real threat. You when you when you can go to the match yourself and you can follow whoever you want to withdraw, and then you're going like, this guy's such a threat. Lovely passer. He missed all his kicks that day, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Um, but he was, and then in this in this tournament for the Scots, he has absolutely, he's been their best player by a, by a mile. They've been performing well, and he generates um, he generates really good performances from the players around him, inside and out. So my opinion on him has gone one hundred and eighty degrees. No, not one hundred and eighty degrees, but like relatively close, like one hundred and sixty-five degrees. Like I, I, I'm not as dismissive. Like I'm so far from being uh, dismissing him. Now I was right in the past. He was flaky, but um, like he's lost none of the beautiful passing ability 
the inventiveness that he plays with, his ability to to uh, to carry out the risky plays he makes and make them look almost inevitable is still there. Now there's going to be mistakes because of the way he plays. He had an intercept that was led to a try, which really sank Scotland. 19-0 was an impossible thing to come down, come back from. But uh, I think he's he's making the Scots uh really threatening for the full the full game and he he looks like the player that Scottish fans have always said he would be and in my opinion wrongly and incorrectly um they harped on his good parts and just ignored his bad parts i think his bad parts have very quickly been reduced to you know mere blemishes compared to you know faults so I think he's uh, he's obviously the biggest uh, threat uh, next week. I think he's so so key to Scotland uh, being a renewed force. His maturation has made him a big force this season, and he's he's the absolute key to their performance. I think he's probably been the player of the Six Nations so far, which is quite something when you consider that Ireland are unbeaten and Gary Ringrose, for example, has been playing really well, but played two matches. And Antoine Dupont has played, you know, has just put in some performances, particularly when you see him play live, where you go, this guy is extraterrestrial. But I still think Russell's been been the pick of the bunch. And there's not much new to say, apart from, from what Hugo said. I think previously... He looked like a guy who'd do something in a match just because he hadn't done it yet. Um, and it was it was for his own entertainment. And like too often he'd have follies in the middle of the pitch doing something that was like a completely like the payoff was completely wrong. It was almost a 10% chance of going right. Um and he, he gave an interview after the after Rassin got knocked out by Leinster just about how disappointed they were. And th- th- there was nothing unusual about it other than the fact that he didn't seem feckless. Um, and it is that fecklessness that, that's often been... That, that's been his greatest weakness because his, his, his skills, which are a pleasure to watch, have always been there. Like his... Um, his his passing ability, but just his overall coordination, like his ability to run, his ability to run and kick at the same time, you know, or less run and pass, at pick the same options time. on the hoof, um, because he's just got a, a superbly rounded skill set, are an absolute pleasure to watch. Like he's he's one of the best reasons to watch rugby, um, and I like my my thing with Scotland is, are they overly reliant on just one individual? Because if I I remember when, as an Irish supporter, when Brian O'Driscoll didn't play at a certain point, we were half the team. We were so reliant on him. And, or, you know, we were like two-thirds of the team. And if Paulie and Brian O'Driscoll didn't play, we were half the team. Yeah, the like, 2005 game we played against New Zealand, we missed the two of those. I remember going into that game thinking, basically there's no point in us even showing up. We're going to get beaten quite badly. And we did get beaten quite badly. The rest of the team looked like that. Yeah. Like we got hammered off the park. We never had a chance to lay a punch. Whereas with those two guys playing, you go, no, 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 like we're, we're in we it. We could beat all blacks for the first time. Whereas I, I don't think Ireland are like that anymore. 
Um, you know, we're missing Tyg, we're missing Johnny Sexton, we're missing Ringrose, we're missing Robbie Henshaw. Still find a way to win. So that's that's been the biggest development for Ireland. I I don't know if I don't I don't think Scotland are at that point. Now he can still play a great match. The next thing I'd wonder with Scotland is, uh, like, how much do teams consider them? If if you game plan to play against Scotland, um. Can you beat them? Because again, that that's a bigger. Cha- I think that's a challenge for any team. But like, in the bigger the matches become, that's what you're up against. You're not just up against really good rugby players. You're up against really good coaches, who are all they're planning is how to beat you. They're not looking at the next match after you. They're just planning to beat you. Yeah, I as you're saying, if if Ireland treat Scotland like a big team, you know, if if like this is how this is like a one-off game, how do we beat the Scots? You know, for example, how uh, Leinster were playing against the Scarlets in the semi-final in uh, 2018, 2017, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18. Cup. It's like, we have, the Scarlets beat us last season. Their key man, their key threat is breakdown threat. They had Barkley, Byrne, Kobe Davies in the background. Go, how do we, how do we negate this? Because we can beat them otherwise. If we can keep our own ball, if we can keep our possession game going and that was a, a case of you know will scarlet puts on the blue scrum cap and is is tight burn for the two weeks in training and they specifically game plan to nullify his breakdown threat along with the breakdown threat of kobe davidson and barkley and as a result that game was was very one-sided i think it was like 40 18 or something like that so if we can if we if farrell and cat easterby and, and uh, o'connell see the game in somewhat of the same way that we would like it's like how do we nullify Finn Russell you know where does the threat go who's their second distributor if you can take Russell if you can keep Russell on the ground if you can keep hiring him hitting him after he's passed keep him on the ground at the bottom of rocks give him a pocket to run into but make sure that the door is able to shut him like for example um, Warren Gatlin did to Raj in the 2011 quarterfinal if we game plan like that, if we say we're going to get Josh van der Fleer to do a, to do a, a shadow job, a, a man-marking job in the way that uh, I think it was somebody put Joe Worsley on Jamie Roberts in at Six Nations years ago. You know, we, can, we know that we can, we're a more rounded team. If, if Josh can't give, if he has to give a narrow performance in order to narrow Finn Russell's performance, we can survive with that. Can Scotland survive with a narrow Finn Russell performance, where he's constantly getting harried, constantly getting held? You know, that's a that's a question mark, because he completely unleashes that backline. Like Hugh Jones is is also having a crack in Six Nations, um, but it, does that change if like Blair Kinghorn's the ten, you know, or Blair Kinghorn is the second receiver, or? or or Stuart Hogg is the second, or has to be the receiver more often. And but Scotland have got better across the park. Um, I guess it's just a really good Six Nations. It's a good Six. This could be a great game. Like I was, I agree with you. They've got better across the park. This is the best Scottish front five I think I've seen in the Six Nations era. Uh, I think Schumann adds a huge amount. Xander Fagerson is very good. I think George Turner's playing well at hooker. He's not. The same caliber of athlete as the the props on either side of him, 
but he's a very good rugby player. He's very good at his, his specific hooker skills, which is mainly throwing the ball these days. Good tackler, good passer, clever player, very competitive. And then you have, you know, the Grey brothers now that... Uh, the... Uh, Richie? No, the... Swinson. The, the fights that got sent off the other day. Swinson. Gilchrist. Gilchrist. Uh, now that he's, he's gone, the Grey brothers will be in the second row. So you have two sets of brothers in the team. The Scottish Mall was good against the French. I expected the French Mall to be able to deal with their Mall, but the Scots mauled really well. It's not something I've seen from Scotland before. Fucking ever there. Even in the 80s and 90s, they were a rocking team. So with the Fagersons, with the Greys, there's great familiarity there. Uh, Richie, I think, is a bad captain. I thought he completely alienated the ref. He's just too aggrieved with everything. Um, I think he's got a, he's got a, the fuse is always lit with him, and um, he's he's quite a good player, but I think he's really quite a poor captain. Um, but you know, I think they're, I think they're really a more rounded Scottish team than I've seen in since the nineties, and uh, they have home advantage. You know, they lost, obviously. Um, to France, uh, they went behind by an awful long way and realistically too far to come back from against any sort of good team. Uh, but it was a very stirring comeback. So, you know, if they'd been... Like, when, when you go so many points down early in the game, your fans get used to the idea that you've lost the game and then everything from there is up rather than if you lose the game, you know, right at the end, everything is down. You forget the good parts to start. So I think that while uh, obviously the the Grand Slam is, is out of contention for them, they can still win the Triple Crown. This will, if they beat Ireland, that will be the Triple Crown. And they can still win the Championship. So Murrayfield would be really boisterous. Uh, so I think it's, uh, I think it has, the way that the two teams play, it could be, it could be, I think it has very few options other than to be a cracker of a game. Is there a reason that Scotland came into this tournament so under the radar? I think everyone maybe thought they flattered to deceive too often. To, too often that, and Townsend has already agreed that he's leaving after this tournament or after this cycle in the World Cup, um, and he 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 had left out Russell before and then brought him back into the fold. Um, I don't know. It, it felt it felt very strange at the start of the tournament. Everyone's like, "Well, no, it's just like Scotland. Boy. Scotland are quite good, but they're they're never precedent. Yeah, yeah. just pre- like I mean, it's been two decades of either poor or mixed performances. One hundred percent. It's yeah. it's because they have. Uh, <clears throat> it's just because of how they've played over the last every every year with Townsend that they've showed they've had good moments and. They've got, you know, talented players like Russell and Hogg would have been the big two for them. Um, and at times, you know, both of those players have lit up the tournaments. And at other times, you've gone like, these two are a pair of wasters. Now, I don't think Hogg is having any sort of big season, but Russell is playing out of his skin. Um so yeah, the, because why were they, why were they under the radar? Because you know they've disappointed so many times before when they've been talked up, and you sort of Townsend teams have had 
a flakiness to them. Um, but this season, they seem to have uh, this tournament, which is only a month old. They seem like the the best Scottish team in a long, long time. Um, yeah, so... Why the fuck are they in our group in the World Cup? <laughs> yeah, disgraceful. I don't know. It's disgraceful. Not disgraceful. It's just mind-blowing mind how that has to be set up so early. It's stupid. Uh, the tournament has been quite badly run. It hasn't started yet. Um, like, France already had the stadia, so there's no... There's no sort of uh, newspaper articles but look how close we are to that and they're still, you know, scaffolding up in, you know, or there's no stand built. So there hasn't been that, but if, if anybody's tried to get tickets or if anybody's been following French uh, sports news, it's a shambles. It's the high levels of corruption and uh, and then just a mixture of, in, in terms of the ticketing, a mixture of corruption and, and just incompetence in terms of allowing people to buy the tickets that they want to buy. They want to give, they want to give the competition organizers money and they're sort of being prohibited from doing that because you can't, you can't get the tickets you want. Yeah, I think you could sell follow your team tickets and without knowing the venues, like if you knew you were going to France or if you knew you were going to Japan, you go, that's fine. Like yeah. France is that close that, and it's such a nice country. I don't really mind where I'm going to. I just want to see Ireland play. And Japan is so far away that it doesn't really matter where I'm going to. Japan's a lovely country. I just want to see Ireland, you know. If, if we're not drawn in Tokyo, I will get to Tokyo. <laughs> like, if that's what I want to see. So, Or if you're playing on Tokyo on Saturday or Sunday, although those are the two options. Which one, Yeah, but which, even like Saturday or Sunday doesn't matter yeah. like two years out. If you know you want to support Ireland, yeah. it doesn't matter if they're playing in Osaka or if they're playing in like a different island. Like if they're playing in Hokkaido or they're playing in Tokyo, you know you're going to go to Japan. You know you want to watch Ireland. Hokkaido or Tokyo is kind of irrelevant for the group of people that are going to buy follow your team tickets. So you don't need to know that far in advance the exact venues. And the venues don't need to know either. No, I agree. You just, you just make sure you've got 24 hotels. You just make sure that you've got eight stadiums or 10 stadiums in different cities, whatever you need. Like, you know the numbers. So, it... Like, I don't know why they do it. No, nor do I. A anyway. couple of other games on. Well, let me just say, which one of the ones of the Scotland games are we going to muck up? The one to win a Grand Slam or the one in our group? In the Neither world? of them. Great. There the we go. Neither of them. Some of the fans not happy with that. Or rugby this weekend. Leinster are playing at the Dam Health Stadium against Edinburgh. Maybe some uh, curious listener will fill me in. It seems like we haven't played Edinburgh for fucking ages. Were they not in our conference for a couple of years or something like that? Um, you know, answers on the back of a postcard. Edinburgh are playing... PDF postcard, please. Yes. Uh, uh, or just you can just tweet at us. Um, Edinburgh are playing Leinster this weekend. And Kieran Frawley's back. He was the last man who was the next Johnny Sexton. Kieran Frawley's back playing fullback, and Harry Byrne is playing out half. So what's notable about those two selections is that I think it's the fifth match in a row that Harry has started, which means he hasn't been injured for any of them. Not just the fifth match that Harry Byrne has started, but the Leinster's fifth match that Harry Byrne has started, um, which is very encouraging. And Frawley is... Where does, where, where does he fit? Mercurial. Um... I think fullback is a very good fit for him because it allows you to play him as a second receiver, 
He's got a very good kicking game. He's a big fella, which I always like in a fullback. Um, I take it because he played guy, he'd be a good fielder, but I think he would be a good fielder. And the challenge in playing fullback, there's two challenges really that are unique to the position, is the positioning on the pitch and the aerobic capacity that you need to be to, to have because there's a huge amount of running in it, both with returning the ball, chasing the ball, covering the backfield. Um, so you need to play it to get used to it. And I, I think with the way Leinster are set up with Johnny Sexton, Ross Byrne, Harry Byrne and Sam Prendergast, I don't see any future in playing Frawley at 10. I don't think he's... I just think his instincts aren't right for it, and we've talked about it before. Now, he's done a very good job at first centre, but I suppose... And he could still do a very good job at first centre. I, I just think that... He... He won't get any better at playing fullback by not playing fullback. So I think it, I think it's a very good. He's got all the he's got all the tools to be a very good fullback, and give the team he's playing for the second receiver option. His last game for Leinster was back in uh, October against Munster in Lansdowne Road as as fullback, as well. So he's only he only played four games this season. Sorry, four games for Leinster, and then he played against New Zealand. A got injured, and it looked like a severe injury. Then it looked like it wasn't. Than it was because he hasn't played since then. Uh, so it's good to see him back. Um, I don't know what his best position is now. Like you make a good point that it does fullback does suit him. Twelve suits him. I think ten will be probably probably the third best position for him. You mm. know, um, and then in terms of Leinster's twelve tomorrow is on. Sorry, on Saturday is. Uh, Jamie Osborne, which so that's you know he looks like he has great tools for that position. Uh, yeah, like it's difficult to know how good Edinburgh V Imhoff said at fullback. It was just a support, not Imhoff. The other great uh, Bosch Buffelli Buffelli, uh, who's completely <coughs> just worth the price of admission. I remember seeing him the last time. Leinster and Edinburgh playing on. Like, why does he play for Edinburgh? You know, why doesn't he play for Toulouse or somebody like that? That's the level of player he is. Um, and it's, I, I think the teams are quite, I think Leinster's team is, it's, you know, very strong for this time of the year, given how many players Leinster are missing to Ireland. There's 18 Leinster players in the 27-man Irish training group. Uh, and Leinster can still field a team which has, you know, Reese Ruddock, uh, Luke McGrath, uh, Deegan, Penny, Jason Jenkins, Ross Maloney. Like, it's a very strong outfit. Um, so I think it's it's great timing that we get to play, Leinster get to play a Scottish team the weekend before Ireland are playing Scotland. Um, and I'm actually really looking forward to the game, yeah. Scott Penny for Ireland. All right, switch it, Austria. Clan, get us a drink. Scotch, everyone. 